Alright, you guys excited to dig into the Word together? Okay, I'm not convinced, but okay. Um, <laughs> Alright, thank you, brother. Me too. Um, well, grab your Bibles if you will. We're going to be in the book of Ephesians today. Um, next week, we plan to resume our, our study, uh, True and Better series. I'm excited about that. But today, um, getting back into This Is Us, talking about the church. Who are we as the church of Jesus? And um, what I want to say to us today is just really one, one, one phrase. I want you to get this. The church is more than you think. The church is more than you think. And we're going to go all over the map in the scriptures today, but we're really going to dig into Ephesians chapter 2 and chapter 3. But uh, what is the church? What is the church? And I want to ask you this question. Does this gathering of people really matter? Does it really matter? So another, another Sunday has come. We've, uh, we've gathered here, we, we sing, we pray, we read the scriptures, we give uh, tithes, offerings, we, we give, we worship in these ways. And now we open the scripture and we listen to the preaching of God's word. And then we go home, right? And a, a new week sort of begins and the day-to-day grind unfolds. The question is, does this gathering matter? I mean, to you, does it matter to you? Especially you men. Let me, let me just talk to our men for a second. Because men are you know, typically less emotionally engaged, more action, task-oriented. And so um, maybe coming and singing is maybe not uh, natural for you men. So I just want to ask you, brothers, does the gathering of God's people really matter to you? Amen. I love it. I love the, the answers here. So last week we looked at Hebrews chapter 10. And the exhortation from Scripture to not neglect our meeting together, but it's it's all about encouraging one another as the day draws near. There's this sense of urgency about the gathering and the necessary nature of the the gathering of the people of God. So today what I'm hoping to do is give you a broader vision of what the church is other than just, you know, a Sunday meeting. Okay. What I want to ask you is, is uh, a number of questions, but really hone in on this one. Why church? Why do you go to church? Why? Why the church? Of all the things you could be doing or could be committed to or could give your hard-earned money to, why the church? I don't want to assume that we're on the same page here. I think assuming is a, a dangerous thing. A, a lot of life is based on some unhealthy assumptions. A lot of church life is based on unhealthy assumptions. You know what they say about assuming, right? Don't say it. I'm not either. I'm not going to say it either. Uh, but you know what they say. The, uh, here's the thing, though. The, the days of people just going to church on Sundays, those days are over. You know that? Um, and honestly, it's a good thing. I will tell you why. See, our culture has become so... Um, Bold in its rejection of religion, uh, specifically rejection of Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And because the, the world, the culture has become so bold, what we now are seeing is the, the, the line, the dividing line between who a true believer is and who's not a true believer is much clearer. What I believe is 
There is a purity coming to the bride of Christ like we've not seen before. No more pretenders. When it's no longer socially or culturally advantageous to be committed to the church, then those who were merely riding Jesus' coattails for their own benefit, they'll fall away. And only those who are truly redeemed will remain. And the beauty of that is this. That the pure remnant of true believers, of those who are truly redeemed, the pure remnant will shine a bright light into the darkness. Is this making sense? So here's the thing. When the church looks just like the world, the light is dim. The light of the hope of the gospel is dim. When our loves and our passions and, and all the things that really light us up are the same as the world, then what's the difference? What do we have that they need or that they want? What do we have? But as the church becomes more and more pure, the bride of Christ becomes more and more pure. People who are genuinely redeemed, who genuinely love Christ, those people are going to make a drastic impact in our world. And God is doing a work among us that we couldn't do on our own. As the bride of Christ, a pure bride, we'll shine a bright light. We, we, we will be the salt that has not lost its flavor. These are reasons why the church matters. But what about for you? Why church for you? Maybe a better beginning point would be what is the church? What is this thing? What, what are we doing? And, you know, the word used in the New Testament is the word ekklesia. It's a Greek word. Can you guys say that? Ekklesia. Ready? Say it. That was terrible, but good try. I'm teasing. Uh, ecclesia, right? It's a, it's a compound word. It's two Greek words combined. And here's what it means. It means called out ones. We're called out to bear the name, to represent Christ. Called out as representatives. Called out representatives. Now think about what that means and who that is and why it's important in light of what the church is, the term ecclesia all in the Bible is, is used in that way. So think about what it means. It's a gathering of the called out ones who represent Jesus. Why would it matter that we gather together faithfully like this? So we are intended to be called out, separated from the world. We're, we're, we're not special. We're just called out by his mercy. And now... As a united people, we come together as one body representing Jesus to the world in hopes that the world would come and, and, and find Christ to be all that we say he is, right? That's, that's our objective. So listen, the church is not a building. You guys know that? I mean, look, you're here in an old movie theater. <laughs> the church is not a building. This building is not a church. The church is not a place or a weekend event or, or a, a thing you come to. The church is the people. It's God's people. And, and we, followers of Jesus Christ, are his people, not because of our worth or our merit, but instead because of his incredible mercy. None of us deserve to be the people of God. We've been called as sinners into the people of God by the mercy of God. We don't. There's nothing inherently special about you. The fact that you're part of the people of God is a testimony to how special he is. The Bible says that 
God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Right? So you didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. But God has reached into your world and drawn you out by his mercy and grace. So listen to this. We don't just go to church. We are the church. Now, why does that matter? It matters because we gather together as the people of God to be stirred up with the goodness of God, to be scattered out for the glory of God. This is the mission of the church and the gathering is essential. Who's stirring you up if you don't come and be with the body? So we dealt a lot with that last week. What I want to do this week is dig into how Paul teaches us from Ephesians 2 and 3. But before we get there, let me just do a a quick run through some history and a quick glimpse at some future. You ready? Here's the history. We're going to go way back. You ready? God created. So God owns everything, including all people, everything on the planet, including every person. God owns them. Because he made them. But man sinned against God. And God's warning of death and judgment came to pass, right? Adam and Eve, they're, they're dead. And all of us, because of sin in this life, all of us will die, right? Wickedness spiraled out of control. And by Genesis chapter 6, the Lord looked down and saw that every thought of man's heart was Evil was wicked all the time. And so he sent this great display of his judgment through a great flood in Noah's day. He spared Noah and his family and a bunch of animals on an ark because of his mercy. And in that moment, we had a great picture of the judgment of God against sin and the mercy of God to save sinners. It's a beautiful portrait. It was a fresh start, but we found out quickly that man's problem is not out there. We're still sinners And Noah and his family got off the boat and sinned against God. And it started over. So then what did God do? Well, God not only created, but God chose. He chose to reveal himself as a a father, as as a God of a particular people. And he chose Abram. God chose Abram and Abram's wife, Sarah. And he promised them a son, even though they were old in age. And Abram and Sarah had a miraculous baby. Uh, After some speed bumps in the road, they had this boy named Isaac. And through Isaac, we uh, saw Jacob who became Israel. And Israel is the people of God's choosing. Now, to be clear, even then, God says, I didn't choose you because you were special or a great number or a great nation. I didn't choose you because of you. I've set my love on you for my own sake, the Lord says. In Deuteronomy 7, uh, verses 6 through 9, you could read about it. Maybe it's on the screen here. Check this out. God says, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any of the other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all people. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath, the covenant that he swore to your fathers. That the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand. So God chose the people of Israel to show who he is as a covenant keeping God. And God walked with the people of Israel for a couple thousand years. 
through their failures, their ups and downs. And we've studied a lot of that through the book of Judges. God walked with them as a covenant keeping God. But man's sin needed a lasting remedy. God wanted to rescue people for himself. So God sent his son, Jesus. The son of God. Fully God, and yet in this moment, He comes to be fully man. We call that the incarnation. Jesus, a baby born of a virgin, miraculously born, but humbly born. Why did He come? Why did God Himself, the the Son of God, the God the Son, why did He come to be a man? He came because only this God-man could lay his own life down as a substitute for sinners. This is God's pinnacle of rescue. He is on a mission to rescue sinners. And Jesus was sacrificed and the wrath of God against our sin was appeased. At the cross, Jesus received the justice that you deserve and I deserve. While anyone who calls out to him for salvation receives mercy. Anyone who calls out to Jesus for salvation receives mercy. And Jesus then rose from the dead, resurrected, right? Came back to life, walked on the earth for over 40 days, was teaching, taught over 500 people. There's eyewitness account of the resurrection of Christ. And he's teaching his disciples all about himself from the Bible. And what we've been learning is that Jesus showed them that this whole book is pointing to him as the coming promised redeemer. So God sent Jesus. Well, then Jesus ascended back to his place in heaven and he promised his disciples. It's actually a good thing that I go because when I go, I'm going to send my spirit. And we read in Acts chapter two at the day of Pentecost, the spirit of God came down on the people of God and the, the disciples preached the word of God and people were radically saved so God sent his spirit the crowds gathered they they heard the gospel preached each one in his own language it was crazy miraculous thousands believed and were baptized and we've studied through the book of Acts together and what we've seen is that those early years the gospel spread and churches were planted And that is the beginning of what we know now as the the church age or the age of the church. The season in history where the kingdom of God is being built through these little little pockets, these little peoples, little clusters of people called churches. This is the season of life that you and I are in. Across the span of history, we live in the church age. That's the reason this thing we do matters. What God was doing is he's through through the proclaiming of the gospel and through this radical new community of believers. God is building a new family, a brand new family, a new kind of nation, a, a new forever Israel, if you will. And in Acts chapter two. Verse 42 through 47, we get a glimpse at what that new family looks like, how they live, how they do life together, what makes them so radically unique. I want us to, would you just read these words out loud with me? 
as we put this, this passage on the screen. Read aloud with me. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So the early church, as they begin, they still gather together in the temple, but then they they scatter into one another's homes. They break bread together. They're doing life together. As anybody has need, they sell their stuff and they provide for their needs. They're radically generous, radically together. This is a new family that God has been forming. Jesus is building his kingdom. Now, the question is, where's it all headed? Where is this thing going? This church thing that we do, what's the end game of this thing? Well, the Bible tells us what that is also. And in Revelation chapter 7, we see that God will gather all his people. God will gather all his people. Every person who has trusted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord will gather around the throne. I want us to read these words From Revelation 7. And just look at this picture. It's glorious. John writes about this vision that God gave him. He says, after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. Think about the ethnic diversity and the diversity of the kingdom of God. You're a part of something that's worldwide. It's not an American organization, the church, right? This is a worldwide thing. People from every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every language, every race are yielding their lives to King Jesus. And what we see at the end of all days is we'll be standing before the throne and before the lamb. That's Jesus, the lamb of God, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Now, listen, this is a forever and ever reality. This is what we'll be doing forever and ever and ever. Now, of course, there's other things that will be going on in glory, but. Worship of Almighty God is going to be one of the most central things we do. So knowing the future, knowing that the future reality, the history and now the future, that the church built on the solid rock foundation of Jesus Christ will be gathered around the throne for all eternity. A multitude of crazy different people with all with one voice, right? With one shout, declaring praise to God and the Lamb of God. Knowing that helps put some things into perspective, I feel like. The church gathers today, listen, 
as a dress rehearsal for all eternity. We are gathered in such a way to, to think and to posture and to, to sort of look ahead and be like, oh, there's coming a day where we'll be gathered around the throne of God and the Lamb of God will be there, the angels will be there, the elders that are clothed in white, those who've been martyred for Christ will be there. The, the angels are going to bow down and we get to lift our hands in worship of King Jesus. So what we do when we gather here today is a practice for eternity. Why does it matter? Because it keeps our hearts from getting tied up in this world. Everything about this world is temporary. Everything is painful. It's, it's wrapped up in this idea of a coming death. Honestly. But what Jesus does and, and what this realization does for us is it helps us to see that death is not the end for us. Death is how we get from here to there. (laughs) So the church gathers today as a dress rehearsal for eternity. And all the while we are beckoning, beckoning those who are still lost in the darkness to come to the Lamb of God who alone can save their soul. So the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Ephesus He says some very significant words about the church. So would you look with me at Ephesians chapter three? I really wanted to read two whole chapters, but we're not going to do that. Would you stand to your feet with me as we honor the word of God? And I just want to read a couple of verses together. Look carefully, if you will, and pay close attention looking for the word church. In the Greek, it's the word ekklesia. Remember, what does that mean? Called out ones to represent Christ. We're called out, gathered together, representing Jesus. So look at how Paul writes to the church that's been planted in Ephesus. And he's writing to them about who they are. Look what he says. Chapter 3, let's start in verse 8. Paul says, to me... Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, Through the gathering of the called out ones who bear the name of Jesus, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That's wild, isn't it? Listen to me. God is declaring his manifold wisdom to angelic beings as we gather. He's showing how amazing he is, miraculously amazing, that he can put this bunch of misfits together. Look around. We have nothing in common other than Jesus. And God is saying, hey, guys, look what I can do. I can pull all these crazy people together. I can make them one. 
I can unify people around and through my son. Look at what I can do. It's the manifold wisdom of God on display in the church. In you as the gathered crazy people of God. Look what else he says. And I love the ending of this chapter. Paul just he just can't get enough of this. Look what he says. Now to him, God, who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in what? The church, the ecclesia, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, give us a grander vision of the church today. Help us to see what you've been doing in choosing a people, in saving a people, and now in sending a people. We are your people, your church, Lord. Father, open our eyes and our hearts today. Stir the heart of your ecclesia, your people, through your word, by your spirit. And we pray it now, Lord, in the name of Jesus and for his glory alone. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So we've been reminded now how all this began all the way back to Genesis. God created, right? And then we've walked through God's choosing of Abram and ultimately the people of Israel. God sending his son. God sending his spirit. And now the church has been born. And we've been living now in in really 2,000 years of the church age where God has been scattering his people all over the globe, planting little outposts of the kingdom of God. And this little bitty expression of the church, global church, we are a local expression of the global church, is a part of God's global mission to redeem peoples from every nation, every tribe, every language. How do we know that's his mission? Well, we just read it, right? Revelation 7. It just told us that the future is going to be a gathering of multitude that no one can number from all over the globe of people with one voice worshiping and proclaiming the glory of King Jesus. That's our mission. This is who we are. We're a people designed to not live for today, but to live for that day. That's what God is doing in the church. And when this gathering is not that important to you, what you say is, eh, that thing that's coming, that all of this is building for, meh. God has created us and called us for more than that. We are more than that. So I want to tell you what Paul teaches us from Ephesians. Now, literally, I want to I want to preach from Ephesians two and three, the two chapters. I didn't want to read it all because we didn't have time. But I want to tell you what from the scripture. What is the church? What has God done in pulling together a people? Who are we? Well, this is us. We are a people of peace. A people of peace. Ephesians chapter 2. Just going to read a, a few bits of this. Verses 11 or 12, I'm sorry, through 17. Remember, at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, 
called the uncircumcision by what's called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time, you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Listen, for he himself is our what? Peace. He's our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and expressed ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making Peace. We are a people of peace. We could keep reading. This is the mystery that Paul writes about when he says it's been given to me to preach the mystery of the gospel in in Ephesians two and three. When he says that he's talking about how Gentiles, that's me and you most. I think everybody in the room, unless you're a, you know, a Jew by heritage, by family. All of the rest of us are Gentiles. And what Paul's saying is the great mystery of the gospel is that you've been welcomed in. You've been brought near, brought into the covenant of promise. You've become a people of covenant. Remember what God said to the people of Israel? It's not because you're all that great that I've set my love on you. It's because I've made a covenant with you. So check it out. You are brought into that covenant. This God looks on me and you and he's like, it's not because you're all that great. It's because I've now made covenant with you. You are my people. And that happened because through Jesus, we've been brought near. We, we are people of peace. What does that mean? Peace. What does it mean? Well, let's flesh it out in these three ways. We have peace with God first. Peace with God. In Christ, those who were far from God have been brought near. He himself is our peace. Do you realize that apart from Jesus, you are an enemy of God? Did you know that? The Bible says we are sons of disobedience, children of wrath. And apart from Jesus, you are God's enemy. Now, we've been reading scripture about God leading his people into war, into battle. And one thing I know, we don't want to be God's enemy. Listen to this. There are no spiritually neutral people. None. You are either a friend, a beloved son or daughter of God in the man, in the person, Jesus Christ, or you are an enemy of God. There is no middle ground. There are no spiritually neutral people. You're either in Christ or you are anti-Christ. The eternal fate of all those who die as God's enemy, it's, it's, it's completely sealed, secured. There's, there's no doubt what will happen to those who die as God's enemy. They, they will suffer the eternal torment of the righteous wrath of God. Now Christ came, God sent Jesus to rescue sinners, to convert enemies into friends. It's the goal, the the ultimate reason Jesus came is to rescue sinners like me and you. It is um, it is the ultimate game of Red Rover. 
You guys remember this game as kids? I, I think I've used this illustration before. You know, you are, you are literally on this team. Your allegiances lie with this team. And, and, and there are other kids on this team, right? And then somebody from this team says, Red Rover, Red Rover, send Julie right over, right? And Julie's like, oh man. She breaks her grip. She goes running, right? She gets to the other side. And if she can't break through their arms, she's on their team. Right. This is the ultimate game of Red Rover. God is calling sinners. He's calling sinners to leave their team to come and be on his team. He's converting enemies into friends. He's rescuing sinners by the mercy of God, by his grace. And in Jesus You and I, if you're a follower of Christ, we've been, the Bible says, called out of darkness into his marvelous light. First Peter two, nine, we have been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the sun. Colossians one, 13 and 14 in Jesus. Sinners are forgiven and cleansed of all unrighteousness. First John one, nine, we are given, listen, peace with God, peace with God. I can't think of anything greater. What else? We are people of peace. Well, this new peace with God is the basis for our unity with each other, isn't it? God's building a kingdom of people from every nation, tribe and tongue. He's undoing the curse of the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. Remember, the people were building this tower. They were we were going to get to God on our own. The people said we're going to make a great name for ourselves. And God looked down from heaven and was like. No, that's not how this goes. And he scattered the peoples and confused all their languages. And as Jesus comes back, he is undoing the curse. He's bringing together the peoples that he has scattered. He's gathering them together as one people under the banner of Jesus Christ. The miraculous work at Pentecost is a portrait of what will happen in the great day of our Lord. God brought confusion. He mixed the cultures. And through the church, he's bringing clarity through the message of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the one redeemer of every people group on the planet. What we saw in Acts chapter four is there is salvation in no other name. No other name other than Jesus A lot of people think that God is on this mountain, right? And it doesn't really matter how you climb the mountain so long as you get to the top. It doesn't matter. You know, maybe you, for you, you choose Jesus. That's great. For me, I'm going to choose this religion or this thing or these acts of goodness or these, this, my works are going to get me there. Baloney. God says there is one way to me. And it's through Jesus Christ. I'm sending to you. You don't climb to me. I'm coming to you. I'm sending Jesus. And he's going to come and die the perfect sacrificial death for you. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Right? So, the mysterious work of grace that we know to be true is that we may have nothing else in common, but we have Jesus. And in Him, we have all that we need. 
God is bringing together people who are so different. Like some have lots of money, some have none. Some have, uh, some speak this language, some speak that language, some have dark skin, some have light skin, some have tattoos, some don't, some wear t-shirts and skinny jeans and some wear burkas, right? And the, the scope of people are so different and yet they're brought together in the unity of the man, Jesus Christ. He's the only way. And we are being reconciled into one body through the cross. The Bible says killing the hostility that we used to have, right? We live in a world where different people are hated, aren't they? I mean, think about, you know, watch the news and just think about the peoples around the world that we're told that we should hate. We're, we're literally told to hate people around the world. Garbage. God is redeeming people from all over the world. And in Christ, we are being made into one body. We have peace with one another. What else? Well, now everyone has the same access point to the Father. We just talked about this, but let me just reiterate one last time. Anyone can come to God, but all must come through Jesus. So listen, Christianity and truly the hope of God for eternity is exclusively inclusive. What do I mean by that? I mean this. It's exclusive in that there's only one way in. His name is Jesus. But it's inclusive in that anybody, anyone can come through Christ and be rescued from their sin. Anybody. One of my favorite things to do is to go and preach this news at the jail. And I have brothers in, in the jail who, who tell me, man, not me. You don't know what I've done. I said, I don't have to know. He knows. And he still sent Jesus for you. And if you come through Jesus, you'll be rescued from your sin. That's the good news of the gospel. But it's exclusive in that there's no other way other than Christ. We have been sent as ambassadors with this message of peace. Second Corinthians five says we have been given the message of reconciliation, which means be at peace with God, be reconciled to God. Paul says that's our message. We should go out into the world saying be reconciled to God. He's made a way for you to be at peace with him through Jesus. We're a people of peace. Who else are we? Paul says we're a people committed to a person. Committed to a person. Everything we are hinges on the man, Jesus Christ. It's the reason uh, we're so Christ-centered as a church. In Ephesians 2, uh, Paul writes and he says that Christ is the cornerstone. The cornerstone of the church. He's the center of our fellowship. He's the one we worship. He's the one who came to save us. He's the one who uh, shows us most clearly who God is. Philip said, Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus says, you've been with me all this time. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right? Jesus is the one who shows us who God is, what he's like. He's not just an accessory. He's the reason we exist. He's the one for whom we gather and the one for whom we scatter. Have you ever watched carefully as a building has been constructed uh, like a house or, or maybe a building like this being built. If, if you've ever watched carefully, you, you, maybe you'll drive by the construction site and it seems like 
forever before the first walls go up, doesn't it? I mean, they're digging, they're piling dirt in, bring gravel in, they dig it back again, put some pipes in, more dirt, more gravel, more stuff. They level it, they dig it up again, they level it. Little flags pop up in the dirt. You know what I'm talking about, right? Why all that time on the foundation? Oh, because if the foundation is faulty, it doesn't matter how sturdy the construction is. And so it is with the church. Jesus is our firm foundation. He spoke about a foolish man who built his house on the sand and a wise man who built his house on the rock. And Jesus said when the storm came and the winds blew, the man's house on the sand was washed away. But the man who built his house on the rock, it stood firm. And we as the church of Jesus Christ, he is our rock. He is the cornerstone. And the whole church stands secure on him alone, on Jesus alone. So we are a people committed to a person. And thirdly, we are a people of purpose, of purpose. I've alluded to this already, but in Ephesians 3, 1 through 12, Paul's talking about this is why I'm preaching. This is the message that's been given to me. I'm, I'm preaching this message so that you'll know that you can come in. You can be welcomed in. The mission of Christ and the mission of Christ's people is the glory of God in redeeming sinners. Jesus' own stated purpose for why he came in Luke uh, 19.10 was this, to seek and save that which is lost. That's why he came and that is why he sends us out. Jesus said, just as the Father sent me, so now I'm sending you. So Jesus came to rescue people from their sin. And he's calling us into that same mission. So church, how do we do it? Do you think of yourself as a preacher? Maybe honest. Somebody can answer. Do you think of yourself as a preacher? No. Okay, me neither. <laughs> uh, and yet, you know, here we are. So listen, if your primary thing is not like going out and preaching, what we saw in the book of Acts is the recipe that God gave to the people of God to be effective witnesses for God in the world. And it was really these two core elements. The proclamation of the gospel, so gospel proclamation. And then the second piece is gospel community. We read that text from Acts 2, 42 through 47. And what we saw is there's this radical thing happening. These people like love each other. They love each other so much they're like selling their stuff to give to each other's needs. Now, I have seen you guys in the last couple of weeks. Man, this church, you guys are a beautiful expression of Christ in this way. And even with my own family, you know, my wife had an emergency surgery last weekend, and we've not cooked a meal in a week. Uh, you guys are such a blessing to us, and I know to Aaron and the girls, for the loss of her husband. Like, it's, this is what family is meant to be. And the people of the world should look at the gospel community of who we are as a people, and they should go, man, what, what, how, why do they love each other like that? It's so radical that they care about each other. Like, 
they're giving money, a lot of money to each other because there's real need. What in the world? And that is the point. The world should look at who we are as a church and go, what in the world? Because this thing is not made for this world. It's a community of people made for a world yet to come. And we've got to start living like it. We are called to live uniquely in this life. And this is where it gets real. I want to give some real, real application to us right now. The church of Jesus should be a radically different community. The early church exploded because they were committed to gospel proclamation, the preaching of the gospel, which, by the way, you are a preacher. You don't have to stand behind a podium to tell somebody about Jesus. That's preaching. Gospel proclamation. And secondly, gospel community. I want to ask you, are these core elements part of your life? Are they a significant part of your life? Are these defining attributes that you would see and say about our church? Is this what defines us? That we declare the gospel of Jesus and we have a radical love for one another. Christ alone is the Savior, but we are signs. We are trophies of grace pointing people to the only hope they have in this world. The only source of real, eternal, lasting satisfaction and joy is Jesus. He's the only source for that. Everything else in life is going to fade in the ways that it pleases you. But Christ will last. May people see Jesus in us. May may people hear the hope of Jesus from us. May people see that our hope, our satisfaction, the joy that lights up our faces is Jesus. So the call today is to make this gospel community a greater priority in your life. Think about how important church is to you right now and hear the Lord saying, it's not enough. Look to the future. Who are we going to be? What has God made us to be? I want to encourage you to give yourself to 10 or 15 other people in a, in a life group. We're going to launch some life groups tonight. I wish we had more to launch. If you're interested in hosting, I'd love to talk with you. But we need more groups. But here's the thing. We're meant to do this together. And we need each other. There, there's a reason why John ended his first letter with these words. Really strange ending. But First John ends with these words. Children. Keep yourselves from idols. Really strange way to end a letter. But listen, here's what he's saying. This world likes to dangle trinkets in front of you. The the fleeting pleasures that keep us chasing after something we've already been given in Jesus. The world is teasing you with something that you've already got in Christ. You don't need anything else to be happy in God. So let's be the called out gathering, the ecclesia, the the church that longs for eternal worship of God around the throne and lives today for the glory of Christ among all nations. Amen. Let's pray together.